0: Hello and welcome to Locked on Women's Basketball. I am your host, Howard Megdahl. Reminder that you can follow us on Twitter, at Locked on WBB. You can like us on Facebook, Locked on Women's Basketball. Go ahead and subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcast, Listen of Choice. Uh, Someone entirely familiar with the world of social media and a remarkable success story in the world of college coaching uh, joins us this afternoon. Uh, Lindsey Gottlieb, uh, head coach at Cal. Thank you for being with us on the program.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be on your podcast.
0: Uh place I'd love to start is, uh, like, uh, like myself, you, you were raised uh, by an attorney in part, and so you had uh, a non-basketball outlook to a lot of the way you were thinking about the world growing up in Starsdale, New York. What was it that allowed you to make that transition to thinking about basketball not just to something that you enjoyed and cared about, but something that could be a life's pursuit
1: I would say um what allowed me to do that was my parents um Pushing all the kids to find our passion and and, and do what we loved. So, um, you know, my father was a lawyer, my grandfather, my uncle, now my sister and my brother, but there was never one ounce of pressure that, hey, any of the kids, you're supposed to do this, or you're supposed to go to an Ivy League school or law school. They really um, focused on just intellectual pursuits and joy and happiness. And so as I was growing up, um, our dinner table conversations were about somebody's case Um, or about sports. Um, So for a while I thought I'd be a a sports writer. Um, I even dreamed that I could be a Supreme Court justice. I mean, it was everywhere. And then I got to college and I loved sports and I loved basketball. But in college was the first time that I thought about coaching uh, as a profession. And so it was just sort of a natural thing to follow what what it was that I was um, super um, passionate about.
0: So when you went to Madison Square Garden in 1992, you're there for the convention you're not thinking about it as the world's most famous arena or a place where, <laughs> <laughs> where basketball is taking place?
1: Well, you know, I had gone to the garden for a lot of Knicks games. I was I was there for Knicks Rockets, um, you know, when, when they were in the NBA finals, I, was, I went to Ranger games. So I think I thought of it as a sports arena first and then it was like, oh cool, they're hosting the convention too. Um, when I grew up, I went to a lot of different political events with my dad, mainly because I liked people. I, I loved my dad. I liked, you know, going places with him, and he was great about introducing me to all of his, his friends that I didn't know they were big-time people. I mean, David Dinkins was the first African-American mayor of New York City, and I just thought he was my dad's friend that came to Christmas parties, you know? Um, right. So so when the convention was there and I went, um, yes, I was thinking it was a cool event, but to me, Madison Square Garden was always a basketball arena first.
0: <laughs> uh, understood. And, and so you get to Brown, and My understanding is that you you took a year off and went to Australia. Uh, Can you talk to me a little bit about what led you to Australia specifically and what that allowed you to recognize uh, about the way you wanted to approach your life?
1: Sure. Um, Well, I'm going to take it back even a year or two before that. My senior year of high school – um, you know, we had a really good team. We were arguably, you know, the best team in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tore my ACL. So that was really, you know, for for a 16-year-old, the worst thing that happened in my life. You know, as a basketball player. And I actually just had a conversation uh, with a with a uh, a kid we have committed here. Um, you know, who got hurt. And I said, hey, um, when I tore my ACL, it was the worst thing. But um, that's actually why I became a coach. You know, probably because it, it changed the course of my life. So. You know, when I got to college, I played at Brown, but my experience was was shaped a little bit by the fact that I'd had this ACL injury. Um, you know, I, I saw the game differently, um, I saw life a little differently, and then my mother died at the very beginning of my sophomore year, which again sort of as a as a 19-year-old, you know, your world is shaking a little bit. So I loved college basketball, um, I loved my team, but I was also at an Ivy League school where you're not on scholarship, there's a little more flexibility, and I just had this urge to say I need to go explore. I I need to try something different. Um, And I went into my coach's office and I cried saying, I don't want to leave, but I also feel like I need to take this year. She was wonderful. She said, go to Australia, come back. You'll always have a spot on the team. Um, So for me, it was um, more about a a journey kind of of seizing opportunities. Um, I think I picked Australia. I, I, I was studying Japanese at the time as a language. And so I thought about going to Japan. But ultimately I decided I wanted to go somewhere where I did speak the language so that I could it could be more about travel and seeing um outdoorsy things and um another part of the world. So I kind of thought of Australia as Oz, you know, sort of yeah. the wizard of Oz. It was the other side of the world. And um it, it, that actually during that year was when I decided that when I wanted to come back, play my senior year at Brown, but I was sure that I wanted to go into coaching. That that's what it that's what that year did for me. I mean, amongst many things, I think it made me decide that I wanted to have an impact on people the way that, that a college coach can have on 18 to 22 year olds. And it made me realize that I could have an impact while doing the thing I love, which is X's and O's and, and basketball. So um, it was an incredible year in, in, in a lot of ways and probably spurred by the fact that i had had a significant injury my senior year, which changed my basketball career a little bit. And also certainly by, by the, the passing of my mom, which kind of made me seize moments, I think, uh, in a different way than I would have otherwise.
0: Well, so take me back That's so interesting to me, I, obviously, to have that injury your senior year, that doesn't just cost you a chance to go play in Glens Falls, but would would the trajectory of your basketball career have been different, do you think? Would you have pursued a, a different college program? Are those the um, types of things that altered?
1: That's a great question. So you might, you know, being a New York person, you might remember the great Shemeika Holtzclaw. We were the same year. Um, I tore my ACL playing against Christ the King. Mm. Look, no one was confusing me for Shemeika Holtzclaw even before I got hurt, right? I wasn't, <laughs> wasn't going to go play um, – you know, in the WNBA or anything like that. Um, But I do think when all of a sudden the thing you love the most is taken from you, uh, even if it's for a year, you you look at the game differently. Um, You you look at life differently a little bit. Um, And and so it actually made me look Howard at schools where I couldn't play basketball. So I thought I wanted to go to Brown. I thought it was a good fit for me. Ivy league, good level. Mm -hmm. But when there was a chance I might not be able to play basketball, I started to look at some schools where, you know, I probably couldn't play anyway. Stanford, Duke, you know, ones where, okay, maybe you're a walk-on. But ultimately, I decided I want to come back and play. I want to play at the Ivy League level. I probably played a little bit less. I mean, I, I was a good shooter, and I was never very athletic. So coming off of a – of a or never very fast, right? I was sort of eye-hand-coordinated athletic, but not run fast, jump high. So coming off the injury, I was even a little bit step slower. So maybe I would have been, you know – a, a, a starter or, or or a really solid player in the Ivy League, and instead I was kind of a, a bench player, that definitely made me a coach, because I sat at the end of the bench, and I saw what other teams were running, I learned what we were running, I, I I watched film as a college kid, you know, not so that I could get my shots off, but so that I could learn the game, so so certainly it affected my trajectory, but I don't think I would have been some WNBA star had I not gotten hurt. Well, <laughs> no, it's
0: interesting, though, and and it also... To make the decision you did, the schools you're talking about, Stanford and Duke, it's interesting to me that that's a similar profile in terms of high academics to go along with a high D one program as to where you are coaching now. So, sure, it, it seems like there's. It it was a matter of time until you ended up uh, at a destination like that. Um, overall. I think
1: I, so. You know, I think so. It it worked out. It was nice for me. Um, you know, in a weird kind of way, to be at Brown for college. Because when my, when my mother did get sick my freshman year, it's a three hour train ride, not a, not a you know six hour flight. So I think it all worked out. But there's no question that, um, I I loved my experience at Brown. But once I knew I wanted to go into coaching, yeah, I was watching closely, uh, the BCS programs, and was very kind of keenly aware of what was going on um, all over the country. You know, in basketball, even when I was. Um, you know, a senior in college still still as a player.
0: What do you see as the more difficult challenge, the first three years as you are working your way up the totem pole in coaching, or the gauntlet of going through three years of law school and becoming (laughs) an associate?
1: (laughs) That would be a very good dinner table conversation for my family. And maybe I'll bring it up this holiday season Um, of my sisters now. Yeah, my sister's now a law professor, um, you know, at NYU. So she tells me some stories about her her students and I talk about obviously our players. Uh, I would say, gosh, um, the one thing is my first job was at Syracuse. Mm-hmm. And every single day I sat in that office, literally, I said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm getting you know paid to, to coach basketball. But there were late nights and back in the day, film exchange where it was VHS tapes and the tape didn't get there on time. And I'm trying to get it for our other assistants or our head coach. There were some stressful Moments, but but you're cutting up film. That's got to be better than than studying torts or or con law or whatever those crazy law school first year students do. So I'll, I'll take the coaching grind uh, any any day of the week.
0: It makes sense. It it's such a challenge, though. I, I mean, and and you know this as well as anyone how hard it is and how hard you have to work in the profession. Uh, so it's it's interesting, I think. And 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 look, obviously, it paid off in a fundamental way. I to skip ahead a little bit. Uh, in terms of what you did, talk to me about replacing a longtime coach and coach French at UCSB. I, it seems like I'm talking to mostly gaucho affiliated people this week on the program. Uh, I, I had Corey Close on earlier this week, but I'm, I'm wondering what it was like for you to come in there. You're, I, I believe, if the math is right, 30 years old at the time, and suddenly yep. taking over uh, a significant program in the Midwest.
1: Yeah. I mean, Howard, it's a a great question that I actually don't get asked that much about, but as I sort of look back at what I've done, it was, it was, it was pretty, uh, a pretty unreal um, experience. So I hope there are Gacho fans watching. That is one of the most incredible women's basketball sort of environments and communities that there, that there is. So the first thing is I was, and I would say this to any assistant, I was really happy being an assistant. I was you know, as they like to say, trying to be the best at what I was doing whenever I was doing it Mm -hmm. and to never look too far ahead saying, oh, I'm doing this so I can get to here so I can be a head coach. I also worked for an incredible head coach in Joanne Boyle who gave me experiences um, as close as you can be to being a head coach without being a head coach as she took over programs and let me do it with her. So I was very fortunate as an associate head coach at Cal that I was only going to take a head job that felt right. And when when Mark French retired, I mean, I'll never forget the day uh, our SWA at Cal, you know, called me and said, Lindsay, this, you got to look at this job. Um, so uh, there were many amazing things to walk into um, in Santa Barbara in terms of a, in terms of a basketball community. Number one, the culture of winning was there. The players were were good and expected to win. The fans came already. You're not building a program. So I was very fortunate in some ways and in other ways, it's really hard to follow a legend i mean mark French is a legend by performance he was a legend in sort of transcending um you know mid-major basketball santa barbara was achieving more than what you know sweet 16s and 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 things like that um and and then also he just was a wonderful human being so everyone liked him um everybody so it was hard you know in some ways to be the next person um but i wouldn't trade it for anything i tried to be very respectful to the traditions there um, and not change things that weren't broken, and at the same time, you have to be you. Um, I, I had to, you know, I was a, In some ways, it was good that I think I was 29 when I got the job. I was a 29-year-old female versus, you know, Mark French, who was an, an older guy at the time. So there were inherent differences. I, I tried to be me. He was my biggest supporter there. Um, uh, but I would say that so my first year, um, I think we went 17 and one in conference and, and won the championship, which was great. And the next year, we 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 weren't as good. Um, we had graduated five incredible seniors. Um and, you know, there were there were some growing pains in there and, and it was hard sometimes to feel it's the first time Santa Barbara's lost to, to to this big West school in fifteen years or the first of this or winning streak. So there were pressures and stuff. But um I, I think in, in, in the long run it, it, it trained me for whatever things, you know, were to come next and it was all great experiences. Um but something that I would talk to young coaches about when you're taking on a new job what type of circumstances are you getting into? Is it, is it a team that, that the culture of winning isn't there? Is it, is it a place where you have to work hard to get talent? From my standpoint, it wasn't that. It just was a little challenging to kind of navigate a place that that was only about one head coach for so long. But, but again, fun challenges and people were super supportive.
0: And, and a significant statement in and of itself that he left at a moment where you had five seniors who you're able to rely on your first year. I mean, that is the ultimate in passing the baton. Well, yeah, exactly.
1: I mean, absolutely. I mean, again, talk about someone and, and he's one of the people along the way you consider kind of a role model. Um, he, he cared very much about that program. And I think he, it was very conscious on his part not to leave. He just stayed one more year and had those seniors. Right. And not only were they seniors, Howard, they were, it was, um, one traditional senior, three fifth years, and a sixth year. Oh, wow. So their combined age was something like 140. Um, I was actually closer in age to the I think to the freshman point guard at the time than I was to the sixth year senior. It was crazy, you know? Um or or, or I'm sorry, yeah, some, some something like that. It was it was something cra- or they were I was closer in age to the sixth year senior than the sixth year senior was to the freshman. Right. You know, it was it was it was quite an experience, but I remained very close with that senior class. They were terrific because I think that could have gone either way, right? If those five seniors didn't embrace me, I don't think I would have been successful, um, but they were they were terrific. They were bright kids. They were very very good, um, and and I think um, that was a, that was a neat experience for me as well.
0: So at that point in your life, you know you've had an experience, and so we're contemporaries, and neither of us have lived in a non Title IX world. Mm-hmm. So you at that point had the opportunity to play growing up, to play through school, to now have a support system that allowed you uh, to rise through the ranks and, and and be rewarded for your hard work. Was there any point during this period of time, during this, you know, a, 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 what would be a proven ground for so many people where you felt like you were pushing against the wind uh, of sexism, or was this an example where just Title IX was so effective throughout your journey?
1: Yeah, I, I really think that, um... I was fortunate because of my parents, the way that they raised me, made me believe that there wasn't nothing, there wasn't anything that I couldn't do. Um, and and then um, through the mentors that I had and the coaching kind of opportunities that were in front of me, um, I felt like there were always kind of really positive opportunities. That of course I had to work hard and seize them, um, but but no, I never felt like I was shut out um, of something um, because I was a female. Look, when I was a little kid. Um, I, I wanted to play on the girls' team and the boys' team, right? And that, that 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 raised some feathers. My father had to go, you know, we never filed a lawsuit or anything, but he had to go fight some battles. Or but I was the quarterback on the on the football team when I was young until I decided I don't want to do that anymore. So I was aware that, you know, there's kind of some differences for boys and girls, but certainly the people that were in my corner and the, the, the people that created my, you know, community, um, I just didn't know anything other than do what you want to do and try to be great at it. Um, and, and similarly, I worked for people um, who, who always supported women's basketball. I mean, to, to have Sandy Barber as my first athletic director at Cal, one of the few female ADs in, at the BCS level. Right. Uh, Mark Masseri was my AD at uh, Santa Barbara. His sister is, is in the basketball club world. Really supported, and to have a community like Santa Barbara that, you know, women's basketball was kind of equal in terms of importance to men's basketball. So so I get it. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of the NBA. and WBA. I get that men's basketball – salaries are higher or coaching salaries are higher and there's there's financial implications to that so there's there's still things that you know our sport needs to grow towards but in terms of opportunity I've never felt like there wasn't something in my career that I could that I couldn't do
0: and it's it's so significant to hear that because the stories between our generation and the generation that came before are so night and day so it it's right do do you think that is I guess I'll ask you two ways because as someone as politically savvy as you are as well, how durable do you think this pathway is now that you know, we are 44 years into Title IX and how uh, completely common do you think that experience is at this point in time?
1: Well, I do want to want to point this out, and this is a great discussion. I'm glad you bring it up. And I, and I said this: we did a Pat Summit tribute uh, here the other day, and I've said yeah. this at other times. There are still female coaches in our game today who got into this profession when there weren't Nike contracts or Under Armour contracts, where there weren't um, you know cell phones and cars that that come with it, long term deals, right? And I'm talking about that like contemporaries now, Tara. Right. Or, you know, the late Pat Summit or, you know, whoever, you know, Debbie Ryan, before she retired, those people, I I think in reading books about them, they took jobs when it was $10,000 a year, when they had to balance another job, when they had to teach at the same time. And and they did it truly because they loved the game. And they're the ones who got it to where it is now, where we're on ESPN and people really care about it. We're doing podcasts. So to me, I feel like my generation of coaches has an obligation to, to understand that and to not walk around entitled. You know, yes, we, we, we should we should always fight for equality with the men, but we should also have a recognition that it wasn't always this way. And I bet you if you had Tara on here, she would tell you about her first couple of years coaching where she had to fight for gym time yeah. or or things like that that I've never encountered. Right. Um, so I am very grateful to the people that spearheaded this profession. And I've said before, I don't know if I would be in coaching If it didn't seem like a viable opportunity, I was never chasing money. I never thought I would, you know, have some contract that that was never it. But if but it always seemed like a real career. And and if I hadn't seen Stanford against Tennessee, you know, on TV or 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 Don Staley playing for Virginia on TV, I don't know that I would have thought that this was a viable profession and so to me those people are the ones that deserve credit for having it feel just normal my whole life and and it wasn't that long ago so I so I I am aware that um, you know I think our generation has to continue to care about the grassroots game to give back to try and help get fans in the stands
0: no I I mean it's a great point it's a (laughs) dichotomy that is fascinating almost the Joshua generation of coaching Uh, that you find yourself in where there has been an incredible amount of growth uh, that's taken place already and it's uh, easy to sometimes lose sight of that just when there are these battles still to be fought but uh, both are true and, and and both uh, deserve right. ample consideration.
1: And that's not to say that we shouldn't keep pushing for the WNBA, you know, to get, we need more games on TV so that people see the, the quality of play is better than it's ever been. So we need to now kind of not just serve the audience that's already watching. We have to try and expand the audience. We have to, you know, put our female superstars on platforms where they can make money in endorsements when they can't, where they can be seen. So there's more to do, but certainly I think where we are right now, you know, we owe, we owe a lot of gratitude to the women that, that took these jobs before we knew that, that all this was coming.
0: No question about it. And, and one of those big things that was coming, of course, was you getting the opportunity uh, at Cal. So that jump, I, I just wonder what that was like for you. You had had the experience. It, it, it's very different uh, in, in a lot of ways for you than it was going to UCSB where you'd previously been associate head coach at Cal, where you had a mentor there So take me through what the thought process was for you getting there and what your big picture goals were upon arrival.
1: Definitely. Well, um, the first piece was when I took the Santa Barbara job, and and again, I tell this to, to young coaches who are thinking about the first head coaching job, I wanted to take my first head coaching job at a place where I could be. For 15 years, right? I don't think it's healthy to take a job saying, "Well, let me be here for three years and get out." I don't think you're going to be good. I don't. Th- I think that's it's very transparent, right? So, so I felt like Santa Barbara was was a destination, you know, and I wasn't thinking about what's my next move. Um, at the same time, I think you always need to be aware in this profession that that when opportunities come, that may be good, they don't last forever. So for me, when um, when Joanne Boyle decided to take the Virginia job, and and I I, I didn't see that coming. Um, it wasn't you know something that I, I I kind of had planned out on my path. When she took the Virginia job and the Cal job was open, I immediately knew this wasn't just any other job. I wasn't jumping just to a BCS school to jump to a BCS school. You know, to me, this, this was the job, you know, it was, it was my dream job um, for a lot of different reasons. I was part of, you know, building Cal from, uh, from not being very successful to being sort of a, a top 25 program, which Joanne should get the credit for, but it was cool for me to be a part of that and see it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh. And it was very different than going to Santa Barbara. And the biggest thing I think, you know, was that when I came back to Cal, I know this sounds kind of silly, but I didn't need to ask someone where the Whole Foods was, right? (laughs) Or I I didn't need to walk down the hall and introduce myself. And what that allows you to do is start coaching right away versus building credibility for a year. So. You know when you're brand new somewhere you kind of have to explain to people your why and hey this is important to me because or or trust me i'm a good person that's why i want to you know push the envelope here like i didn't have to do any of that i had had a three-year interview as an assistant at cal i had relationships so it allowed me to start you know kind of hitting the ground running the other thing that was for me you know fortunate my journey was that i I I knew a lot of the players that were here. I didn't didn't coach any of them because I had been gone for long enough where, you know, there was no one that I coached. I had recruited some of them. But I kind of was sort of aware of where they were. They had struggled a little bit that previous year. Um, I, I was aware of some of the dynamics so I could come in with an immediate message. And I remember saying to them, you know, we aren't broken. This isn't a rebuild, you know, this group right here can do special things and here's how we're going to do it. It, it, it kind of gave me a head start. Um, sure. And I think the immediate buy in from the players. I had some former players, you know, the Devon A. Hamptons and Alexis Gray Lawson and Ashley Walker called those kids and said, I'm telling you, you know, you got a good one. with Lindsay, pay attention to her like that. That helps. Right. When you, when you kind of have that buy in. So I my goal when I got here was not just to be happy to be at Cal and oh, I'm comfortable and this is a great job my goal was to um, take this program that was now established generally and make it one of the elite programs in women's basketball. There's really only a handful, right? I mean, UConn is the best Tennessee prior to that. I would put Notre Dame in that category. Now Duke sort of has flirted with it somewhat, you know, I don't know if you consider Baylor there, but there's a handful, right? And so we want Stanford, obviously. I felt like on the West coast, there wasn't a consistent team that people associated with high quality women's basketball, other than Stanford year in and year out, and we want to be that team. We're still on that journey. I mean, obviously a Final Four, you know, and several kind of top two finishes in the Pac-12 is great, but we we still feel like we have more to do. But my goal when I came back was to say, okay, let's take this top 25 team and become elite. And you do that by kind of doing things a certain way every day. For me also, with my – sorry, with my personality, I thought the way to do that is not to copy anybody else, but to be – Unique to, to my personality and what I thought Cal could be, so for example, you know you mentioned the social media. we wanted to be cutting edge with technology, with social media, with how we present our program. You need to do that with substance behind it it 's not just all glitz and glamor, right, but we want to be cutting edge with um, you know with with technology because we 're in Silicon Valley, and I kind of get that stuff. Secondly, I wanted to have my own unique way of relating to the players and getting the most out of them and essentially making this a place where kids could come for the unbelievable education, the location, and, oh, by the way, we can also be one of the top women's basketball programs. Whereas in the past, a lot of the West Coast kids, if they wanted to get the basketball piece, sort of felt like they had to go east. I don't think that's the case anymore.
0: Well, look, when you look at what the Pac-12 has done, your Final Four breaking through and then having a a pair of Final Four teams last year and eight in the top 25 now, there's an argument to be made that the Pac-12 is the best – conference in college basketball right now is that the way you have uh, come to see it at this point
1: definitely definitely I mean I felt it last year I mean obviously we struggled last year with a young team mm-hmm. and there's no question we were we were young but having been in this league now for you know almost 10 years as an assistant and a head coach night in and night out it was just so unforgiving you know because there were so many good teams um uh i I thought sort of the the league proved itself last year to be the best you know league in the country and i don't think that was a one-year type of you know anomaly if you look this year um you know a team that was picked to finish 11th out of 12 in our in our league colorado is is in the top 25 and, and undefeated that you know top to bottom i don't think there are any weak teams and there's certainly some at the top right now who are you know considered amongst the best in the country so uh, I mean, there's a lot of great teams across college basketball. I, I think if you put all the conferences head to head, top to bottom, I don't think you can argue with the Pac-12 being, being the best right now.
0: When you think back to that year two, were you ahead of schedule? I, I mean, did you know at some point during that season, this is a group that's going to get me to the final four? Or did it come as a surprise when you were able to, uh, to gel the way you did and make that run?
1: I thought the first time that I really was like this team could be sort of next level. Good was the year, the, the year before in the NCAA tournament when we, we were, we were an eight seed. Um, you know, we beat Iowa in the first round, the eight, nine game, and we played Notre Dame at Notre Dame. Now I look at the pictures on my wall. Notre Dame had Skylar Diggins, Kayla McBride, Devereaux Peters, this girl, Natalie Novosel, who who, who was a pretty darn good player. Um, And we were no seniors, you know, and and, and kids who hadn't played in the NCAA tournament the year before. And it was tied at halftime. You know, I think we ended up losing by 10. And in the press conference after, Muffet McGraw said, number one, that team was underseeded. But number two, they're a top 10 team next year because we had everybody returning. So that's the moment. So so that year we had been, the way I describe it, is almost really good, right? We we kind of beat everyone that that was below us that we should beat. And we we didn't beat the Notre Dames. We didn't beat Stanford that year, right? We didn't beat... Um, maybe the teams that were top ten teams. So I knew at the end of that year that that we were special. And my message to the team was, I want to be great next year, not because we return everybody else and and people don't, but because the everybody, but because everyone that we return should also be better. And that team was ready from that point on to 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 play for championships. So I I thought we had something special. Now you go into a season. And I don't think you ever think you're definitely going to the Final Four, or you're definitely going to go 32 and 2, or whatever we went in the regular season. It kind of happened day by day and game by game. We had incredible depth, we had incredible leadership, we 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 had inside outside game. We were a really good team. But what kind of surprised me as the year went on was just the grit and character of that team. When we had a bad night and we're down by 15 at the half. You know, to Oregon State, we fought our way back. Um, when we when we lost to Stanford in the one conference loss, we turned around and beat them a few days later. Then we had to win every other game the rest of the year to win the regular season championship. So I think they, they, they kind of impressed me with, with with their grit and resolve, but we knew we had a special team that year. And then you got to get lucky, right? No matter how good you are, sometimes the chips have to fall the right way. And, and, and we played, you know, we lost one game in the Pac-12 tournament, to, to which probably helped us because we got, we got an extra day of rest. We... we we were a little bit shaken and we got ourselves together and we made that run in the, in the, in the NCAA tournament, which I wasn't surprised about, but it doesn't always happen as you plan.
0: What's, what's interesting to me too, and, and what I enjoy about watching the Lindsey Gottlieb team is there's not necessarily a single way of going about doing it. So when you think about the offensive team that you had that year, with Brittany Boyd, as uh, who is someone who is greatly enjoyed out here in New York now, uh, as the quarterback, she was if you go by assist percentage, she was by far uh, your leader in that team that went to the Final Four. You look at assist percentage this year, and 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 it's early, and the stats reflect the fact that this is non-conference play, and so it's not apples to apples yet. But you guys have four different people, five different people, excuse me, with at least a 16 percent. Uh, assist percentage uh, in terms of your opportunities. And so it's it's a fundamentally different way of approaching it. I just wonder what you see as uh, the offensive strength of this team, whether you think this has a chance to be your best offensive team.
1: Yeah, I mean, clearly you're doing your homework, you know, and, and I appreciate that. Um, that Final Four team, you know, w- was special in terms of our depth, right? We had incredible, I mean, we had three WNBA post players like Rashonda Gray didn't start, you know, which is crazy to think about now. Um, And and obviously we started Brittany Boyd and Laja Clarendon who are now two WNBA point guards. Um, But this year's team has what I would consider better offensive balance. Um, So, um, you know, obviously we have a tremendous inside score with with Christina Nguye, but she's not the only one who scores in the paint. I mean, Nina Davidson and Courtney range, right. And, And CJ West off the bench, what this team has probably more than the Final Four team is is at this time you know better outside shooting right so people have to pick their poison my my belief in coaching is you have to evolve a little bit with the type of team you had so so that Final Four team we we could just pound you in the paint whether it was Boyd's penetration to the paint you know or or two post players and this team can spread you out a little bit more we can we can move people around we can I think we're a little tougher to guard um, and so um, offensively I think maybe. It is a prettier game, so to speak. It is a more um, kind of lovely on the stat sheet kind of thing. Um, so from, from an offensive standpoint, I, I I do think, you know, should we be able to kind of stay healthy and stay clicking, the numbers might kind of play that out. Um, again, that, that that Final Four team was so special in terms of our defensive tenacity. You know, Leija Clarendon was, was a terrific guard who could kind of create her own shots. We had rugged inside play. Um, but if you were making sort of an offensive video, this team probably has more, um, y- you know, more kind of traditional sort of weapons in that sense and, 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 an offensive um, uh, diversity. Um, so we'll see how that plays out.
0: And, and more individual 50 point games. Uh, so, <laughs> well, uh, but uh, what is interesting to me, because you spoke about the defensive tenacity, the defensive efficiency so far this year is on par with the final four year as well. Do you think that has to do with uh, that you guys are able to wear people out down the stretch? Uh, certainly, it seems like second halves have been more your friend as you've gotten out to this 9-0 start.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying to use a lot of people, right? We're playing, you know, kind of legitimately 8-9 every game and we have 10 who can play. Um, I think we have a couple more different defensive looks this year. Um, so, so we can, you know, put on a few different full court presses, like a three quarter court trap, that kind of thing, or just play, you know, man to man. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I'm the coach, so I'm sitting here thinking we can get a lot better on defense. You know, we give up too many, too many baskets. Um, but, but from looking at the percentages and, and, and stuff, I think we have a couple different defenses that, that work. And I and I do think we try to wear people down with, with some sort of athleticism and depth, but um you know, I think when we get when we get to conference, we're gonna have to really lock in because I want to be able to win on the night when shots aren't falling, right? And that's um, that's something that I think every coach aspires to. And so, um, yeah, so I think we have to keep kind of just teaching the players to really lock in and get a stop when we need to.
0: In terms of the shots not falling, that simply hasn't happened yet for Christine. And I just wonder how good you think she can be, and and I don't just mean generally, but I mean. What is a comparison to the type of player she has an opportunity to be by the end of four years at Cal, considering that here we are not even midway through her sophomore year. And, you know, she's up yeah. around 70% efficiency. in You go by effective field goal percentage.
1: I mean, if you want to talk big picture, Howard, I think she could be an Olympian one day. I think she could um, be the number one pick in the draft that year. Um, I think she could um, – be, you know, one of, if not the best player that, that we've had here. And we've had a lot of really good, good players. Um, we're still young in her career. She's she's still growing leaps and bounds. She still can grow leaps and bounds. That's the fun part, all right, of coaching college that that you get them as 18 year olds. And there's just so much growth that can happen in their time here. So I'm looking forward to that. But if you, if you want me to talk big picture, I think those are the big picture things. Um, I think what we've seen this year is um, you know, I don't. I don't look at the numbers too much, but you know, I think the number her numbers are a little bit up from last year. But I think exponentially, what is better is that you know, last year as a freshman, as most great freshmen do, they're running on instinct, they're running on talent, they're kind of clueless, and I say that you know, in an endearing sort of way. Yeah. Now she's added just sort of an awareness of. Oh, okay, this is why we're practicing this this way or oh, okay. This is what's going to happen in the game Like she understands sort of how I'm trying to prep her and things She's faced more double and triple teams in these first nine games than she did the first nine games last year and has kind of found a way to Operate within that and and also understanding that sometimes that means kicking it out of a double or triple team Letting someone else hit a shot and then you're single covered next time. So her growth um has been really, really good so far, which allows us to be more efficient as a team. And, and I think she's going she's gonna to continue to get better.
0: And her turnovers, to, it's the notable point is that teams yep. really are throwing – Multiple defenders at her, but her turnovers are down considerably. Her assist rate isn't uh, at the level of some of some of her teammates, uh, which is right. no reflection on her. It's what she is as a post player. But are you seeing right. more hockey assists out of her? Is that is that what what is leading to your team's overall offense just performing at the rate it has so far?
1: I think so. I mean, I think um, a, a couple things. What she really understands now is number one, you know. She can score through double teams. I mean we, we I encourage her when, when when she can, you know, kind of make a play through through two, she's capable of that. But when there's three or four, like you said, just kick it out. And it may not be right that the shot right for the right for the, the score where she gets an assist, but it keeps the offense flowing. The other thing that the team understands and that she kind of understands is that even just running down the court, posting up hard, drawing two or three two or three people and never touching the ball is a positive possession if it means that Asia Thomas is open because no one's guarding her and she can knock down a three and she's shooting 60% from three. So I think it's this idea of playing the right way every possession. I keep telling the team, make the right basketball play. So, uh, you know, you mentioned the 50-point game. That was all within the game plan. It was, hey, this is how Sac State plays. They're trying to get the ball out of our hands in the front court, make us turn it over. We don't want to take – you know, open fifteen foot jumpers that eh, maybe we hit forty percent of the time and let them go hit threes at thirty three percent rate because then we don't win that battle. We want to get it to where it's the highest percentage shot. So they understood that's get it to Christine. Christine understands the highest percentage shot with four people on her is maybe maybe Michaela Cowling or Courtney Rand shooting an open jumper. So I think yes, hockey assists, I think understanding how to keep working the whole possession and maybe you get it later in the possession than earlier in the possession if they're double or triple triple teaming. Or you know, kicking it out, not necessarily for the assist, but just, just so that the ball moves a little bit. I, I think she's understanding all of that better, which leads to her turnovers being down. She's in better shape yeah. um, and it can be able to go really hard for a periods period of time, which takes away offensive fouls, um, you know, and things like that. Three seconds that lead to turnovers as well.
0: And, and you mentioned Michaela. To me, she's one of the real underrated players uh, in the Pac-12, if not the country. The notable thing with her, it seems, uh, just from my perspective, is her efficiency on twos has gone up quite a bit. Uh, she's always been effective from three-point range, but she went from forty-four percent last year to fifty-seven this year. Uh, is that just a development of her mid-range game? What, what is it that you see that's allowed her to uh, to excel that way?
1: Man, I, I I can say so many positive things about that kid. Um, she is like you said, underrated. She is so smart on the basketball court. I mean, I literally play her at the one, through the four now. She's not a natural point guard, but she pushes so well in transition and she can see things and she's so unselfish that we play her at the one, the two, the three, or the four, um, and she just understands it. Um, I think her increased shooting percentage is, again, she's just trying to make the right basketball play. So sometimes I'd even like her to shoot more, but I think she only takes really good shots. Um, I think she's worked a lot in the offseason on her game of – getting to the rim um getting getting to um to high percentage shots whether that's uh, she's got a nice mid-range pull up or, or whether i'm running her some stuff to get to get to the rim um i think it's all of that um sometimes her numbers i don't even think bear out how good she is because she's the kid i feel like i can't take off the floor you know she's a terrific defender she just kind of settles us can, can play anywhere and, and i even think eventually i'll get her to kind of hunt her own shots a little bit more um because i think she she can do some things um uh, that people can't guard, but at the same time, she's just, she's a really good facilitator for us too.
0: And, and as, as a legit six, too, you're talking about someone who fits in seamlessly when you project ahead to the next level at the three or the 4 Oh,
1: totally. I mean, she's a pro and I, and I've said, I mean, I've used that as an example to the team, like this, this kid, this kid's a pro and she does not care where I put her, right? What do we need me to do? How many times do you need me to shoot? You know, that kind of thing. Um, but there's no question. She, and I think me Planner at some point this year um, is going to help her. I don't think she's going to be a point guard at the next level, but I think it's helping her confidence with her, with her handle, uh, which will help her as, as a wing um, at the next level. So um, yeah, I try to, I try to do what's best for our team, but also help develop them for, for whatever's going to come next.
0: Well, it's a positionless league as as many in the W it will is. be first to the first to tell you. Uh, yeah. Mikhail is on my list of, people who keep me up uh, much later than I'd like to be (laughs) someone with two young children. You know the the drill that back east, your games are on so late, but worth staying up and and worth the pain of waking up early, uh, tired the next day. Uh, But you're doing something that far exceeds what I'm talking about, and so I can't begin to complain. Uh, You're managing to uh, coach at this remarkable level uh, while while. Uh, going through a pregnancy at the same time. And so I I'd love to hear just how it's going, how, how, <laughs> how, how that balance is for you and, uh, how it's been feeling so far.
1: Yeah. I had a laugh in uh, I had a laugh in the hallway the other day with Conzo Martin, our men's coach, because I, he's a, he's a really good friend of mine. You know, we'll kind of catch up in the hallway and, Whatever it is, whether you're you know, talking about each other's last games or, or you know, commiserating about a bad call or whatever, but I just kind of looked at him and laughed. I said, "Imagine doing it with, with the, with, a, with a child in <laughs> you too." And, and he just kind of laughed. And he said, "No, no, you know, that's you're, you're doing just
0: fine." You know, we, we were laughing about it. Um, Planning for two. I see. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm having a really good time with it. Obviously, um, embracing this opportunity. We Patrick and I feel so fortunate um A to you know to have this baby on the way but also to be doing it with this team and family. The Cal administration community has been great and it's the players have just been so much fun. So I mean big picture again my thought is always like I you know I was never the little girl growing up planning my wedding or, you know, playing house, but I did think I would have a family one day. I just was kind of you know, the way I was raised, you, 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 you hunt your career and what you're passionate about and and life kind of happens as it does. So, um, I always thought that I would have family, but it wasn't necessarily on the track that everyone else's was, I guess. Um, you know, and and I'm, I feel lucky now that, that I, I, you know, became a head coach and I have a dream job and also, um, am able now to also do this other thing that's important to me. And if that in some way can be a, a different kind of model to my players or to anyone else to say, look, you can be a, female that cares a lot about their job um, and also um, be a mom, I, I think that's kind of a fun challenge. Um, well,
0: how much of that also, be, because leave, leaving aside the model, which is significant and, and and something that I think will only redound to the larger benefit of people who are able to see your success doing so, but the profession itself is so all-consuming. And right. to what extent did that impact – your your personal life just on a year-to-year basis in terms of being able to balance those two things you're someone who was able to succeed wildly as a head coach but that takes up so much time there's so many players and coaches i speak to about this where you look up and you've spent so much time working on uh the career and and that aspect of it that it's a a difficult thing to find that balance
1: for sure i mean are you are you uh insinuating that you don't go on a lot of dates when you're watching film on Friday night in sweatpants. (laughs) Um, Yeah. You know, I I, I guess like the way I would say it is I never, you know, I never consciously chose a career over a relationship where I never said this is more important than that. But as you move around, right. To to follow the job that affects your life, you know, you, you, you leave people that, you know, in one community, maybe, maybe it makes relationships not work or what have you. Um, That, that certainly has an impact. Um, The same way that, that I, I, I maybe what wasn't necessarily like, you know, refusing to take a job because of a relationship, people make choices in their life that, that are best for them. I guess I always believed that if I followed what felt right at the time, then things would work out. Um, So, like I said, I never took one assistant job Thinking that that would lead me to a certain other job or a head coaching job—that just wasn't how I operated. It just I, I took a job if it felt right. Um, similarly, I, I sort of said, "Okay, you know, if I'm present where I am, what I'm doing, um, you know, stuff will will work out." Obviously, biology factors in, and there was, you know, definitely a time when I became a head coach at Cal, saying, "Hey, like, if I want the family thing, also, you know, you don't you don't have forever." So, so maybe um, stuff became a priority in a different way, um, and certainly, you know. I, I knew that I, I wanted to have, um, a, a child and, 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 you know, my partner Patrick felt the same way. So this was kind of uh, a really good time, but, um, but certainly you need supportive people around you, um, to, to do this job and, and, and have a relationship to do this job and have a family. I'm learning that as I go. I don't think the way I, I, we have this child will look the same exact same as my mom, right. Who who didn't work while she had, the, the, the four kids and then went back to work and and, and I saw her become a stockbroker and stuff when I was 10 years old, but I was the youngest of four. So I, 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 it's kind of cool to see how you can do different things. Um, to me, I think it's important to kind of allow yourself to be the type of parent that you want to be. So we will have some help. You know, I'm not going to do this totally all by myself, but I also kind of feel it feels pretty neat to be able to go to practice every day. Um, and 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 be pregnant and yep sometimes I throw up in the morning, <laughs> um, and 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 I I still do it right it's just part of the experience, um, and and to be able to share that with this team and stuff I think is is kind of cool as well because it's never been a nine to five job it's been a lifestyle job right. and 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 I think you can be a super successful and be single you can be super successful and be gay with children, you can be straight with no children, you can be straight with a family. I just, to me, I think um, it's it's about how invested are you in the young people you coach, and, and, and how able are you to balance that with whatever else is important to you. And so for me, this is just kind of the next piece in that in that journey. And I'm just very grateful um, to be to be in this spot and excited for, for what comes next. I've had to adjust a little bit. Like I can't watch film till one in the morning anymore, <laughs> um, but I'm not going to short change the job. I'm just going to find different ways to, to do it and be a little more efficient.
0: And do you ever use that as a, uh, as motivation with your players to say, you know, look, I I'm doing this while pregnant. The least you can do is uh, task X, Y, or Z. No, no.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, I, I just generally kind of my philosophy is like, they're it's they've, like, I've, I've never felt like, they should ever know whether I'm having a good day or a bad day in general. Right. Like just, I'm, I coach them with a whole lot of consistency mm-hmm. and, and I ask them to sort of do the same. Like if obviously one of the things you teach young people is, um, you know, we're trying to be great at something. So regardless of, you know, how your day went or what happened in school, like we try to perform, but I'm more just sort of try to model that by being consistent every day. Um, but I will say they see some things, you know, so, so we flew to Nebraska, um, I had a little bit of a rough time on the flight to Nebraska. So we landed and I'm like sprinting to the bathroom to, to get, to be sick. I mean I just was motion sick on the plane, I think, because of the, you know, the, the, the hormones of the pregnancy or whatever. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sick in the bathroom and I look up and literally seven or eight of them are in the bathroom, standing there with, handing me toilet paper, hand on my back, like they wouldn't leave the bathroom. It was so sweet, you know? And, and so I don't think I need to say, Hey, you know, I'm trying to balance both. They see it and and I think they appreciate it. Um, But, but, you know, the same way I hope that they would appreciate it, you know, um, with, with coaches who aren't pregnant, who show up every day and do the best that they can.
0: But that, I mean, that's an image I'm sure you'll take with you forever. Totally. In terms of just logistics of that, the final trimester, is that going to change how you travel and the way in which you have to do it? I'm thinking specifically of a certain trip to Dallas, Uh, that about a month month before your due date on May the 9th.
1: I am planning to be everywhere and do everything. And I think, you know, of all my timing moves, I think this pregnancy timing was pretty good because uh, due date is May 9th. So, I mean, my doctors have said it's safe to travel, you know, even into the third trimester. It's the only thing is obviously if you travel somewhere, you have to be willing to, if you you deliver early, to be willing to have the baby wherever you are. Um, So, you know, my hope is that we're playing in Dallas and that I am super pregnant on the sideline. And if I have to sit down more, I have to sit down more. Um, But even, even the things leading up to that, you know, the sweet 16 or the first and second rounds or Pac-12 tournament in Seattle, um, I have plans to be everywhere and, you know, just have to be super kind of um, proactive about, you know, compression socks on the plane and snacks before the game. I have a wonderful sports staff. I mean, my Dobo, like this could be her, kid like she's part of the family like she's getting me different snacks on the road already and um you know and Jill you know Jill Culbertson a lot of people know her she's like the the, the, the kind of community feel is great um you know Patrick's coming on, on the road trips I'm sure he'll be there at the end when I'm, I'm super you know big but I yeah, you know, people have done it before, and, and, and I'm just going to try to chart the journey my, my, the best way I can, and, and I'm looking forward to it, right? The same way you're only a first-time head coach once, um, you're only a a, pre- a pregnant head coach the, for the first time once, so I'll, I'll do the best that I can with it.
0: Well, Lindsay, I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and uh, share this entire journey. Uh, it, it's remarkable. It's going to be remarkable watching you uh, navigate this for the for the rest of the year as well. And uh, I, I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you so much for being here on the program.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate you know, your insightful thoughts and, and, and your homework and how much you do for women's basketball and care about it. So let me know if you ever want to chat again.
0: Absolutely. And, and thank you to our audience for listening. Uh, just a reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB. You can like us on Facebook at LockedOnWomen'sBasketball. Or go ahead and subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcast listen of choice. Uh, I'm Howard Meddell wishing you a very good day.